0: Tonight, I'm going to speak a word to you from the book of Exodus, chapter 17. I uh, was going to prepare, I was going to do something else, but I kind of felt like at the last minute that I felt a, a, a nudge from the Spirit, an impression from the Spirit, change what I had to say. So, Exodus chapter 17, we're going to look at verses 8 through 16 as we endeavor to look at the Word of God in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, chapter 17, and verse number 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Verse number 9, of chapter 17 of Exodus. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men that will go out and fight against Amalek. For tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now Moses' hands became weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat upon it. Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on the right and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, "Write this for a memorial in the book; recount it for the hearing of Joshua." that I would utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is My Banner. Verse 16. And he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will war with Amalek from generation to generation. Look at verse 16. For he said... Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. That's an odd scripture there, but our focal point tonight will be verse 16. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will war with Amalek from generation to generation. Tonight, I'm preaching on the thought, dealing with your Amalek. Dealing with your Amalek. Look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, We all have Amalek's to deal with. We all have some Amalek's to deal with. Dealing with your Amalek. Dealing with your Amalek. Um, We're all familiar with the Old Testament passages of of Israel, God's holy people. Uh, If you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is about a people, a place, and a purpose you had to condense the Old Testament down, you would find three general observations. It's about a people. It's about a place. It was about a purpose. People, obviously, is the Hebrew people, God's people, from Abraham. God spoke to Abraham and said, from your loins, I'm going to have a people. They're going to be my people, and I'm going to be their God. He says, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And the purpose of that was that these people were going to be a a lighthouse. They were going to be a light on the hill. They were going to demonstrate to the world that there is one God. So the Old Testament is about a people, Israel. It's about a place, about God's promised land, and it was about a purpose. It's about God demonstrating Himself to these people and these people... Remembering that he was the one and true and only God, and that they would be an example to the whole world now obviously these people failed multiple times and many times, and I am gracious that I am thankful that when I read the old testament i'm reminded of God's mercy and his long suffering towards his people, because I need God to be long suffering to me amen and so uh, but one of the things that you'll see about israel they they God's hand was always with them. Israel was freed from bondage over after 400 years in Egypt. God delivered them from bondage, led them out of the land of Egypt, delivered them from the mighty hand of Pharaoh. They crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground. And when they got over on dry ground, God began to do the supernatural for them. Water from a rock and manna from heaven. You can't get any more supernatural than that. And after they were delivered from Egypt and went through the Red Sea, I mean, it was a celebration. The Bible says that Mary and Moses' sister took up a tambourine and began to dance. I mean, it was a celebration. After they got over on dry ground and crossed over the Red Sea, God began to give a manna from heaven and water from a rock. And Moses was their hero. Moses went from zero to a hero. I mean, he was God's man of faith and power. and They even almost equated Moses as as if he's God. I mean, Moses, God used Moses in a mighty way. And we come here to Exodus 17, and God's man of faith and power, God's holy man, God's man that God anointed to use, became very tired, and he became very weary. Let me remind you tonight that even though God uses people in a mighty way, those people still get tired and they they still get weary. Moses was used in a mighty way and God's hand was on Moses. Even though God used Moses in a mighty way, Moses was exhausted and Moses was tired. We forget, we forget that when we get in the presence of God, we almost feel as if we're immortal. When we get in the presence of God, we think that we can almost do anything. You remember what David said? David said, I could leap over a wall and, run outrun a troop he's you know i mean david felt the anointing he felt the power of god that's how we are as pentecostals we feel the power of god so much that you know we feel like that we can just conquer anything and there's an s on our chest and and we can stay up all night and pray all night 10 20 weeks of revival and you know we used to do that in our younger days but i've discovered that as you get older your body is not conducive to that schedule can i hear an amen one of the founders of Pentecostalism is Amy Simple McPherson. Amy Simple McPherson was the founder of the Foursquare Gospel, or the International Church of the Foursquare founded in Los Angeles. Her death was basically exhaustion. Amy Simple McPherson preached seven times a day, it's reported. She was so physically exhausted she had to take sleeping pills to sleep at night, and she actually died in her sleep we fail to realize that even though God uses you mightily and you may feel anointed, you've got to take care of your physical body. Jeremy, you've got to take care of your physical body. And Moses here, after being used by God, after Moses was used by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses is exhausted. You know, Sister Regina, he's so exhausted, the Bible says he can't even lift up his arms. I mean, not for a long period of time. And now he had two of his armor bearers which is his brother Aaron and her? they begin to lift up his arms. The Bible records in Exodus 17 that as long as Moses had his arms up, Israel prevailed against their enemy called Amalek. Now I've read this scripture multiple times and come up with multiple conclusions of what this actually meant. And so tonight we're going to deal with that. Israel was fighting against a battle. They were fighting against not only a battle, but they were fighting against a people called Amalek. They're fighting against Amalek. Now Amalek, the Bible says in verse number uh, 8, Exodus 17, verse 8, Now Amalek came and fought against Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men, go out and fight against Amalek, for tomorrow I will stand on the top of the mountain with a rod of God in my hand. So they're fighting against Amalek. And so Joshua goes out with the people, and Moses stays on top of the mountain, with Aaron and her, they lift up his, their, his hands, and Israel and, and Joshua is fighting against Amalek as Moses has his hands held in the sky on top of the mountain with Aaron and her, And as long as he had his hands up, they prevailed against their enemy called Amalek. Now, the question is, who is Amalek? Why is Amalek given such a problem to Israel? Well, the Scripture is very clear. I'm going to point out a few Scriptures about Amalek that you need to know. Who is Amalek? Because that's the enemy that they're fighting against. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 24, Numbers chapter 24 gives us uh, some brief description of Amalek. Amalek shows up throughout the Old Testament, and I believe that if you can piece these together, it tells us a story. In Numbers chapter 24, Numbers 24 and verse number 20 Numbers 24, verse 20. This is the song or this is the prophecy of Balaam. Balaam is given his fourth prophecy, and in his prophecy, Balaam alludes to Amalek. Verse 20. Then he looked up on Amalek and took his oracle and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but shall be the last, but shall be last until he perishes. Now it's interesting that he uses. He says that Amalek is the first among the nations and he will be the last to perish. In other words, the prophecy of Balaam here is that he, Balaam is given a prophecy. He alludes to Amalek and says, Amalek was the first among the nations. In other words, Amalek was the first nation to come against God's holy people and they will be the last to perish. So you see what the prophecy here is? Amalek is the first nation. Amalek is the first group of people that fought against the people of God. And the prophecy is is that it will be the last to perish. Be the very first thing that will be the last one to perish. All the other enemies will perish, but Amalek will be the last one. So you see here that the prophecy of Balaam is that it's the very first enemy of God's people, and it will be the last one that God or His people will deal with. If you go on in Scripture and look at another thing that alludes to Amalek, is Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse number 17. And I want you to look at the uh, law of God here. And Deuteronomy is a recount of the law of God. And here is a brief description about the Amaleks, the Amalekites. Verse number 17. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. Remember Amalek. Remember what Amalek did to you on your way as you were coming out of Egypt. That sounds familiar, don't it? Because the prophecy of Balaam was it's the very first thing, the first nation you had to deal with. Amalek is the very first enemy you had to deal with. Amalek is the first nation that the people of God had to fight against. Look at 17. Remember what Amalek did to you on your way as you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on your way and attacked you from your rear and the stragglers at your rear. And when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. You see that? So here, there's a description of Amalek. God is saying to his people, you need to remember what Amalek did to you. Amalek snuck up behind you. When you wasn't expecting it, Amalek ambushed you. They snuck up behind you, number one. And the scripture records here in Deuteronomy that not only did Amalek come up from your rear, he snuck up behind you, he ambushed you. When you were not paying attention, it caught you off guard. But the scripture also tells us that Amalek attacked you when you were weary and when you were tired. It also tells us that Amalek did not fear God. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you see, just by the few scriptures that I read to you, you see in Exodus 17, Israel, Joshua, is fighting against Amalek. And then the prophecy of Balaam says it's the first nation that God's people had to deal with, and it's going to be the last nation that they deal with. And then Deuteronomy, God is recalling the law here or Moses is recalling the law and he states here that Amalek don't forget Amalek Amalek came up behind you Amalek snuck up behind you Amalek attacked you when you were weary and when you were tired and you got to know that Amalek don't even fear God who are the Amaleks well they're sneaky people aren't they (laughs) they're people who attack you when you're weary and tired. Uh, Amalek, don't fear God. Goodness. Now you have to ask, well, where did the Amaleks come from? Amalekites, where did they come from? Well, you know, there's a scripture in uh, Genesis chapter 26. It alludes, and we don't have to necessarily read it. It will pop up behind me, I think. Uh, Genesis chapter 26, uh, verse number 12, tells us that Amalek is the grandson of Esau. Now, who in the world is Esau? You ever thought about who in the world is Esau? Scripture records us Genesis, I think that's Genesis Genesis 36, verse 12, not 26. Genesis 36, verse 12. 36, verse 12. You might need to change that for me, please. Genesis 36, verse 12 alludes that Amalek is the descendant of Esau. Everybody say Esau. Now, who in the world is Esau? Do you all recall the story of Esau? Who is Esau? Esau is the brother of Jacob, right? And Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. He sells something that's permanent for something that's temporary. See? See? Amalek, who is the grandson of Esau. Now, why do I think that that matters? Well, even in the conception of Amalek, the conception of Amalek, his descendant, which is Esau, who sold his birthright, you get this idea that it's very carnal and very fleshly. Esau sells his birthright to his brother Jacob for a bow of soup. Now, you know, many different interpretations of that, but to make it applicable to us, we understand that if we're not careful, we too can do that. We can sell out for something that's temporary because we don't say no to the Adamic nature. We don't say no to the flesh. So Esau is a man who I would propose is a man who is ruled by his carnal nature. Esau, a man who is controlled by his carnal passions. And his grandson is Amalek. You see the picture here. Remember the story, in, or remember the statement in Deuteronomy? Amalek is, you got to remember what Amalek did to you. Amalek is the one that snuck up behind you. Amalek is the one that attacked you when you were weary and tired. Amalek is the one that don't fear God. Remember the prophecy of Balaam? Balaam said, Amalek is the first nation you've got to deal with, and it's going to be the last one that you've got to deal with. And the very first nation that the Israelites had to deal with is Amalek, not the Philistines, not the Hittites, it's Amalek. That's the first nation, that's the first group of people that Israel had to fight against. Balaam Alludes to it. It's the first nation. It's going to be the last one they deal with too. Deuteronomy. Moses says, don't forget what Amalek did to you. They snuck up behind you. He attacked you when you was weary. He attacked you when you was tired. You almost see Amalek, the descendant of Esau, who was fueled with his carnal passions and self-gratification. See, I'm reminded of 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, you see another description here of Amalek. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 1. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 1. This is a very interesting scripture here concerning Amalek. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15 And Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord has sent to anoint you as king of his people over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the Lord or the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up out of Egypt. It's interesting to me that Egypt is a type of the world. Egypt is a type of the world Israel is delivered from the world. Israel is delivered from a type of the world. And you and I, all of us, we all have an Egypt, don't we? All of us has been deli- delivered from Egypt, and the very first thing that we've got to deal with once we leave Egypt is Amalek. The very first thing that you've got to deal with after conversion is Amalek. The very first thing that you got to fight against after conversion is Amalek. You see, Samuel's telling Saul here, you remember how Amalek hmm, says, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over Israel. Now therefore reheed to these words. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way. How did he ambush him? You've already read the scripture in Deuteronomy. He came up behind him and They were tired and weary and ambushed him. Amalek doesn't fear God. Verse number three, now go and attack Amalek. He says, what do you need to do, Saul? Saul, the word of the Lord is that you need to go and attack Amalek. Destroy all them. Don't spare any of them. Kill the man, the woman, the infants, the nursing children, ox, sheep, camel, donkey. Kill them all. You've got to make sure if you're going to be king here, if you're going to, you're going to walk in as anointing. you're going to make sure you have to kill all of these Amaleks. Now, at first glance, this sounds awful. It sounds awful that God would tell, a, tell an uprising king to go ahead and kill infants and nursing mothers and just go wipe them all out. God certainly is not God certainly is not uncompassionate here. The principle is is that these people were God's holy people, and the promise was on these people. And God was giving them instructions that if you want to inherit what I have given you, you've got to obey the word of the Lord. If you, if you just leave a little bit yeast, it's going to infiltrate the lump. You've got to get rid of all of it. You've got to get rid of all these amaleks. And so Saul did not do that. We know that Saul did not get rid of all the Amaleks, uh, Am- Am- Amalekites, because Saul thought to himself, well, I could save the best and give it to the Lord. I, I can save the best. And that's what Saul did. When he went into the camp to kill them, he didn't kill all of them. He kept the best. Kept the best cattle. He kept, he kept the best to give it as an offering to the Lord. And that was not the instruction of the Lord. The instruction of the Lord was to kill every one of them. Verse number 15, 1 Samuel 15, 15. 1 Samuel 15, verse 15. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the ox to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have destroyed. You see what Saul was saying here? Saul was saying, Listen, we didn't kill all the Amalekites. We kept the best for the Lord. We kept the best sheep. We kept the best ox. We kept the best for the Lord, so you can take this and sacrifice it to the Lord. But was that the commandment of the Lord? The commandment of the Lord was to kill all the Amalekites. Verse 16, Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night, and he said to him, Speak on. And then look at verse 17, And Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission. And that mission was to kill the Amalekites. Did Saul kill the Amalekites, church? Talk to me. Did he kill the Amalekites? What was the word of the Lord? Kill them all. Kill all of those Amalekites. The Lord said, verse 18, I've sent you on a mission. You better go and destroy these sinners. Go and destroy those Amalekites. Fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you not swoop down on the spoil and did this evil in the sight of the Lord? Samuel here, who is the prophet, is telling Saul, you have done something evil in the sight of the Lord because you did not obey the Lord. Verse number 22, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord, Lord as a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Samuel, the prophet, is saying it doesn't matter if you kept the best for the Lord. The word of the Lord was that you you was to kill all the Amalekites. And yet you are thinking, if I save the best, I can give it to the Lord as a sacrifice. And what you have done is rebellion. What you have done is, this, as, is as the sin of witchcraft. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and adultery. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you from being king. You see, you can never ever think that you are doing what's right before God by doing what you want to do. If God told you to do something, you can't do it halfway, or one third of the way, or a quarter of the way, or, or try to adjust it to make you feel comfortable. Or try to adjust the word of the Lord so you don't so so you can so you can uh, do what you feel is appropriate. You see, delayed obedience is not obedience at all. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. When you follow Christ, He demands total obedience. I, did you hear me? When you follow Christ, He demands total obedience, not partial obedience, not half obedience. He wants all. And the word of the Lord to Samuel was that you are to kill all those Amalekites. And Saul came up with a plan. I think I'm just going to give what's best to the Lord as a sacrifice. Listen, God does not honor sacrifice or rebellion against his word, even though you try to appease them with a sacrifice. hear me? When people are in trouble, they'll come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. But when God supposedly delivers them and it works out, they quit and just come partially. The problem is is that you never really was obedient to the Lord in the first place. God never really had your heart in the beginning. You were just given impartial obedience. You were just using Him so that you could get your way. See, it's interesting to me, Haman, in the book of Esther, do you remember the story of Esther and Mordecai, her uncle? Mordecai... Uh, Haman was the enemy of Mordecai and the Jewish people. And Haman became very furious with, uh, uh, with Mordecai. And Haman had a plot against God's people, against Mordecai. And one of the things I found out about Haman is he's the direct descendant of the Amalekites. It's interesting to me that the people of God always had to fight against the Amalekites. And I would further say this, that the Amalekites was a type of the thorn of the flesh. They always seemed to appear in the Old Testament. They always seemed to press against the people of God. They were always the enemy that was ambushing the people of God. They were always the sneaky enemy that was coming up behind. They were always the enemy that was lurking in the background. The prophecy of Balaam was, this is going to be the first nation you deal with, and it's also going to be the last one that you deal with. Amalekites. So, Pastor... What are you dealing with? What, what, what significance does Amalekite have to do with us? It, the Amalekites are is a type of the flesh. It's a type of our Adamic nature. Now, why is it a type of the Adamic nature? It's a type of our flesh. Because isn't that the flesh? The flesh has no respect for God. Can I hear an amen? The flesh wants to do what it wants to do even when you're tired and exhausted. It still demands its ways. It still demands its rights. Even though you're exhausted and tired, it still demands its rights. It it has no fear of God. And, And isn't it interesting that our flesh, our Adamic nature, our carnal nature, has a tendency to creep up on us once in a while. We'll get victory on Sunday and go to a prayer meeting and think we got victory, and then Tuesday morning, you know, that thing just creeps back up. It creeps back up on us. You remember the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord was the Amalekites is the first people, the first enemy that you've got to deal with when you leave Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world, when you got converted and brought out of egypt the very first thing you're going to have to deal with is the flesh you're going to have to deal with the carnal nature jesus said if you're going to follow me you got to pick up your cross daily and follow me it's a cross bearing life it's a one way journey it's a cross bearing life you got to deal with that adamic nature you got the adamic nature that comes from adam But yet, when you are converted, you have a new nature, which is the nature of Christ. And there's a struggle between those two natures. And Amalekite is the type of that nature that wars against the presence of God. It wars against the spirit. It wars against the soul. It's constantly in struggle because it's the first thing you've got to deal with. And ladies and gentlemen, it's the last thing you've got to deal with. Even when they bury you six feet beneath the ground, it's going to be over, but that's the last battle you're going to have to fight. Amalekite is the last thing that you're going to have to fight. You're going to get victory over many things in this world, but you're always going to have to fight against Amalekite. You're always going to have to war against that thing. You're always going to have to wage war against them because you'll never come to a place in your life where you got complete victory over the carnal nature. You can walk in victory, but it's only until our glorification that it's done away with and we're freed from sin, period. See, Amalekite is the type of the flesh. It's the type of the thorn in our flesh that we've got to deal with. You see, every one of you deal with the flesh every day of your life. You can get victory over it. You can walk in victory, but you deal with it. you got to deal with it. You see, now... Moses is on the top of the mountain here. Moses here. The Bible says in Exodus, I think uh, Exodus chapter Exodus 17 verse uh, eight. Exodus 17 verse eight. I want to bring out a principle here. How do we how do we overcome or how do we remain victorious? How do we pursue victory over the Amalekites or the carnal nature, which is the flesh? Exodus chapter 17, Exodus 17, and I want you to look at verse number 8. Exodus 17, verse 8, now Amalek came and fought with Israel, and Moses said to Joshua, choose some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. You know, I've heard this many times, you know, preached throughout the years about how, how one of the ways that uh, Moses was encouraged was because he had two people lifting up his hands and that's a sign of prayer. And although that is, that's, that's, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I think there's another interpretation or another view that we can look at. You see, the Bible says in Exodus 17, verse 9, that Moses said to Joshua, choose some men, go fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, who's tomo- tomorrow? Moses is going to stand on top of the mountain he's going to go to the top of the hill with a rod of God in his hand Moses is pictured throughout most of the old testament with a rod in his hand he had a rod in his hand and we know in Exodus chapter 9 Exodus chapter 9 Exodus chapter 9 in verse number 22 Exodus chapter 9 verse 22 Exodus chapter 9 in verse number 22, listen to what the Lord says to Moses with his rod. Exodus chapter 9 verse 22, and the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be hell in all of the land of Egypt, on man, beast, and every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder in hell. So When I read this, I thought, well, that's interesting that, you know, God said to Moses, stretch out your hand, but actually Moses stretched out his rod. And Moses stretched out his rod, and God began to perform miracles with that rod. The plagues of Egypt, some of them was demonstrated by Moses' rod. Even the Bible says in Exodus chapter 17, chapter 17 and verse number 6, that He strikes the rock with the rod and from the rock, water begin to flow. Moses is depicted with a rod in most of the Old Testament and God used that rod to perform the miraculous, to perform the miraculous. Now in this story, Moses is, is, his people is fighting against Amalek and who is Amalek? Amalek is the type of the flesh. The people of God is wrestling with the flesh. And how Moses is standing. He said, I'm going to go to the hill and I'm going to take the rod of God in my hand. Why couldn't Moses just go to the hill without the rod? Why did Moses have to have the rod in his hand? Because the rod was a symbol of God's power and Moses was a shepherd. And so God used that rod as a symbolic of His power to His people. Now, in the Jewish custom and Jewish world, when they would go to battle, one of the very first things that they would have is a standard barrier. A person would be a standard barrier. So if an army was invading you, you would go out and most armies would have a standard barrier or they would have somebody who was the standard and they would hold up like a rod or it's almost like a a pole. And most of the time the pole would have uh, uh, something on it or it would have a flag on it. And that flag or that pole was the standard for that particular army. So in other words, when that army was going to battle, the standard barrier would hold up the, the flag, would hold up the rod and that would symbolic represent like an advertisement. This is who we are and this is who we're fighting for. This is our name or this is who we're fighting for. Most of the armies in the Jewish Bible, uh, in the Jewish custom usually would have a banner, and they would put their sponsor on it. So if they were fighting for Rome, Rome's emblem would be up on the banner. So we would let the other opposing army know that they are fighting for Rome. Okay? That's who they're fighting for. So Israelites would have a banner... They would have their symbol on it. So when they went to battle, they were fighting for their people. They're fighting for their people. We are God's people. We are fighting for our own people. It was an advertisement. Moses goes to the top of the mountain and he has a rod. And as long as he had the rod in his hand and they were lifting up his hands, they won the battle. What are you saying, Pastor Josh? I'm saying that the Lord said here, Moses, built an altar. Call that name, the Lord is my banner. In other words, you put my name on your banner and you tell those people that I'm your sponsor. You tell those people you're no longer fighting for yourself. You're fighting for me. I'm fighting for you. I am your sponsor. I, you put my emblem on your banner now on. You put my emblem on your banner, and when you go to battle, those opposing armies will realize that I am your sponsor, and I am fighting for you. You don't have to fight for yourself anymore. You don't have to fight for your people any longer. Amalek is too strong for you. You go ahead and put my emblem on your banner and let Amalek know that I'm sponsoring you and I'm fighting for you. So when you're waging the war with the flesh, when you're fighting against the flesh, you can't fight against the flesh in your own flesh. You can't stop it. You tell yourself you're not going to do it anymore. You tell yourself, don't don't do it. I'm not going to do it anymore. And you do it anyway because you can't do it yourself. You can't fight against Amalek yourself. You've got to learn that you've got to put a banner you got to put the Lord's emblem on your banner and let Him be the one that fights for you and with you. He's got to fight for you. The Lord fights in us and through us. See, when they raised up that banner, it was an advertisement that God was with them. And what was Moses doing? Moses held up the rod, and Aaron and Hur lifted up his hands. The rod was their banner. The rod was the sign of God's power. And when the people of God saw Moses' rod, they knew that God was fighting for them. But now God says, I want you to build a memorial. This time, I want to be your banner. I don't want Moses' rod to be your banner any longer. I want to be your banner. Moses has been your rod for many years. He's been your banner. And I've honored it. But this time, I want to be your banner now. No longer look at the rod of Moses, but look at the banner. Look at me as your banner. See, that's the progression of faith, isn't it? Sometimes we need Moses' in our life to help us to win the battle. Then there comes a time that the Lord says, I want to be that person. I want to be that banner in your life. See, Amalek, see, is the type of the flesh, isn't it? Amalek is the enemy that does not fear God. Amalek is the one that fights with us even when we're exhausted. Amalek is the one that ambushes us and sneaks upon us. Amalek is the first nation we got to deal with the last one we deal with. You can't fight against Amalek by Moses' rod. You've got to know that God wants to become that rod for you. In closing, the Bible says in Hebrews, you go to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews 10 Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 24. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 24. Hebrews chapter 10 In verse number 24, look at verse 23. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. He says, listen, the coming of Christ is near, and you don't need to miss more. You need to attend more. As as much as you see the day approach and don't miss more, attend, come together more. You see? Now, look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and verse number 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 12. Hebrews 12, verse 12, talking to these people, the writer here of Hebrews says verse 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. It says you need to strengthen the hands which hang down. How do we strengthen the hands that's weary? How do we strengthen the feeble knees? We strengthen people when we come together as a body. Of Hebrews chapter 10 says when we come together and we provoke one another to do good works. We provoke one another to love and we provoke one another to keep going forward. How do we strengthen one another? We strengthen one another when we come together like Aaron and her and Moses came together. You must come together to be strengthened. Moses didn't lift up his hands himself, there was a togetherness with Aaron and her and Moses. And you and I, if we're going to win and continue to walk in victory, against the Amalekites of our life, we've got to make sure that there is a togetherness among us. You strengthen one another. You're never called to be isolated. You're not an island by yourself. You're called to be a part of a body. The body can't say to the head, you have no need of it. So come and together. Strengthen the hands that hang down, coming together like Aaron and Her and Moses came together. And when they came together, there was a strength that was found there. There is a strength when we come together. As a, is that the only way we're strengthened? By no means. There's other ways to be strengthened. But I just like the picture that we have with Moses, Aaron, and Her coming together. And why were they coming together? They were coming together for the sake of God's people. Let's come together. Let's be unified. Let's hold each other's hands up. You know what? When we come together and we lift up the feeble hands, we lift up and strengthen the hands, you know what You know what God is doing? There's a banner over us. We're engaged in the spiritual warfare. But you don't have to fight it. It's already been fought. He's our banner. He's the one that's sponsoring us. The battle is already won. You see, what are you saying, Pastor Josh? I'm saying the Amalekites is the first battle you've got to deal with. It's the last thing you've got to deal with. They will, it will ambush you. It will attack you when you're tired and weary. It's the first thing you've got to deal with when you leave Egypt. You've got to be aware of it. You've got to keep an eye on it. Jesus said, "Crucified." Oh, it likes to come off the cross, but you've got to learn to crucify it. You've got to learn to say no to it. You've got to learn to be a sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? When you say no to Amalek, you become a sacrifice. Sacrifice is hard and it hurts, but the Scripture records that's your reasonable service, is to be a sacrifice. Don't act like it's hard to serve God. It's reasonable for you to serve God. It's reasonable for you to give. It's reasonable for you to serve. It's reasonable for you to be faithful. It's reasonable for you to walk in love. That's reasonable. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You live in one of the greatest countries of the world. You are afforded some of the most great privileges that anybody could ever imagine. It's your reasonable service to serve God. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. It's reasonable to serve God. Amalek, the prophecy of Balaam was this. The prophecy said it's going to be the, it's going to be Numbers chapter 24 verse 20. Let me read it to you one more time before we go. Numbers 24, 20, the scripture I just read to you. Scripture says the prophecy of Balaam, he looked on Amalek and said, Amalek's the first. Amalek is going to be the last that you deal with, and certainly the flesh is the last thing that we got to deal with. Amen?